Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Um, I had intended, actually earlier in the week, to speak on something else tonight than what I'm going to speak about. And then midweek, I just really um, got a, like a, a pastoral burden um, to teach on spiritual warfare. It's not something we really talk a whole lot about around here, and we have a lot of mature saints uh, that know how to fight the good fight of faith, and um, we have those who are coming up in the faith and um, learning all about this good fight of faith. Um, so I, um, but I just really felt the, the burden of the Lord to, to speak on this tonight. As the Pastor David and I have just kind of been walking with some of our families here in the church and then some other friends of ours that have just been walking through trials and what really, um, you know, it have, have been attacks of the enemy. And so... Um, so we're going to talk about it tonight. Everybody say the good fight. It's a good fight because the, he's already won it. But you have to stay in the fight to experience a victory. Don't quit in the middle. Okay, spiritual warfare is waged in the mind. It's a fight for your peace, your strength in the Lord, and ultimately your faith in him. Your faith that God is who he says he is. Your faith that God is good. And that he can be trusted in all things. Somebody say that with me. He can be trusted in all things. But we have got, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, we have got to develop spiritual grit. Does anybody know what grit is? You know, I love this. Um, our, our kids, all of our kids have come up in the uh, public school system and, you know, they have counselors that come to the classes and they teach on different characteristics um, to build up. You know, they, they, they teach them about certain things. And I always love that they would teach the kids about grit, what it is. And so what is the, 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 the um, Webster's Dictionary says grit is firmness of mind or spirit unyielding courage in the face of hardship or danger. Grit. Somebody say spiritual grit. Jesus told us in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, he said, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus told us we have authority to, over all the power of the enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we're, we're, we're just, we're going to read all the, uh, we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, which is good because you know, that's, that's your number one weapon against the enemy is the word of God. If you are in a battle and you are not in the word of God, you're, you're losing. <laughs> 
And we're, we're, gonna, so we're gonna be reading a lot of scripture tonight about spiritual warfare. First Peter chapter five, verses eight through 11. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We do have an enemy. We don't, we don't like to give him too much attention around here. You know, that he, this is what the enemy loves. Either that we overemphasize him or we underemphasize him, right? Um, some, uh, we, believe in, we believe in deliverance around here. We believe, uh, we know that, I mean, scripture tells us, we've already read it about spiritual attacks that, that happen. Um, and so we would be foolish to, to think that we don't have an enemy. Um, but at the same time, he, he, to think that there, there are a lot of people who, within the body of Christ, who just, you know, uh, don't talk about spiritual warfare at all. So, um, oh, I know, I lost my train of thought. This is what I'm gonna say. Some things, you, you know that you cannot cast out your flesh. You have to crucify your flesh. So there are some things that are not the devil, that are not the, you know, a, a, a demonic attack. Some of it, some of the things that we face is just our flesh that we must crucify. Okay, it's our lower nature. It's our Adamic nature. Um, but we have been, if we've been born again, uh, we now have a higher nature. We have Christ who lives within us and he is renewing us day by day. We are becoming like him. Okay, Ephesians chapter six, verse 11. I'm just gonna read this one verse right now. Later on, we're gonna go through the whole armor of God. But Ephesians 6, 11, put on, why don't y'all read this with me? Let's read it together. This is the apostle Paul telling us all about it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I'm gonna talk about, I'm, I'm gonna just briefly mention a few of the schemes that I have noticed in my life that the enemy likes to use. We don't wanna be ignorant of his schemes. So here's, here's a scheme of the enemy, condemnation. <laughs> Somebody knows about that one. Satan is the accuser of the brethren and the sistren. <laughs> the only power he has over you is if he can get you to come into an agreement with him. You ever hear a little, you know, whisper in your ear? I don't mean an actual verbal whisper, but a lie from the enemy that comes. Hey, Nicole J, I didn't know you were here. I was like, where's my friend? There she is. Um, he wants us to come into agreement. Um, it could be something from your childhood 
that maybe never was even told to you by a parent or by friends or by a teacher, but something that you, um, I'll I'll give you an example with with our, um, at the School of Ministry, we're going through a book called um, Experiencing Father's Embrace. And we're, we're talking about father wounds. We're just diving deep, y'all, week one, month one. Um, and one of the things that I dealt with was never something, it was never something that was told to me or spoken over me, but it was something that I, um, I don't even, what's the word, kind of just experienced and, and just kind of took on. I took this on. And that was, I, you know, I was always celebrated for my singing voice from the time I was a child. So, you know, I company would come over, you know, little Nicole had to sing for everyone and I was so shy and I never wanted to do it. And I would get that look from my dad, like you're going to be in really big trouble if you don't, if you don't sing for everyone. Um, (laughs) Parenting in the eighties, everyone. Um, So, so I was always celebrated for that, but I was often shushed um, if I was talking in front of adults or laughing too loud. I, I have, y'all have heard me laugh. I'm sure I kind of have a, a loud laugh. Um, or you hear me say, wow, on the front row. So I always get, you know, um, so I'm a little loud, I guess. Um, so, you know, my dad would have never in a million years wanted to, he would have never wanted to hurt me in this way. But the idea of his, uh, that he had was kids should be seen and not heard was I took on this thing of, I don't have anything valuable to say. Let me sing for the masses, that, that's fine, but I don't have anything valuable to say. So, so that's an example of a lie of the enemy that would come and, and he wants you to come into, an agree, into agreement um, with those things. Con, so that's condemnation. Um, or, you know, if they knew what you did, they wouldn't, Okay, condemnation. But we know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, Another scheme of the enemy is isolation. Anyone ever experienced that before? The enemy wants you to be disconnected from the family of God and make you feel like you are the only one going through this unique trial. He will, use, he will use church hurt. <laughs> We've heard that term, right? We've all experienced that. Um, he wants you to be disconnected from the family of God. And that, that's actually one reason why it's so important that we share our testimonies is so that someone else can hear, oh my goodness, they've been through that and, and God brought them through. Like that, that is what, um, you know, I love, David talks about one of the, the def- definitions of testimony is do it again. So when we share our testimonies of what God has done for us, that, that, that ignites f- uh, faith in the hearts of others. Um, so he uses isolation. The enemy will use unforgiveness. That's a big one. Father wounds, mother wounds, church hurt. The list goes on of the pain we can experience by the hands of other people. But when Simon Peter asked Jesus how many times he must forgive his brother, Jesus answered, 
77 times, or some translations say 70 times seven, which basically, this is a figurative number that means a limitless number of times. So no matter the pain or devastation that you may have been through in your life, none of us get a pass on forgiving. And I promise you, there is a place that you can come to in the Lord. There is freedom where you can truly, you don't, you don't have to feel it first before you do it. We must walk in forgiveness. Okay, here's another scheme of the enemy. False teaching. We don't really talk about this one very much, but how many know it's out there? <laughs> I heard some of it this week on social media. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, for, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the Lord, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The enemy uses false teaching. It's one of his schemes. But here is, here is the, the scheme of the enemy that I kind of want to park on for a few minutes tonight. This is, this is the one that kind of that gets me fired up. The enemy wants us to doubt the goodness of God. The enemy wants us to doubt the goodness of God. Does, God doesn't know what's best for me. God isn't good because if he was good, he wouldn't allow this. God is withholding from me. This is the classic deception tool of the enemy. And we have all felt it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share in a moment a couple of my own testimonies where um, I would have never said those words with my mouth that God doesn't know what's best for me, but I was acting. I was living that way. I was making decisions <clears throat> that, that stated that I felt that way. But we see this in the fall in the Garden of Eden. The serpent came to Eve and caused her to question God. Okay, so let's look at it. We're gonna read. This is seven verses of scripture. Y'all ready? Genesis chapter three. Verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The classic deception of the enemy. To for you to doubt who God is and doubt your identity in him. So as I was thinking about my own life, our journey, I was thinking about, um, you know, uh, our, our dear friend Tommy Tinney was here last Sunday night and um, for our five-year anniversary. And as he was sharing some stories about revival and things uh, we've experienced together with him years ago. Um, I was reminded of that season of life. David and I had been married for a few years. Our first son was born. Um, he was four months old when we resigned um, a great position we had. David was a worship pastor at our church and um, we resigned. The Lord was shutting the, was closing the chapter of our lives there. And we had experienced so much more of God that we were like, we can't go back to normal church. Like we have to run hard after God. Like we want to, whatever this is that we're experiencing, like we, we don't ever want to leave it. <laughs> we have to stay in this presence. Um, but here we were with our firstborn and with no steady paycheck, um, walking away from church family that we loved, um, trusting God, I mean, literally month by month. Really, we did this for 10 years. I mean, <laughs> um, but that for those first two years, that, that first year especially was so challenging for me as a young, I mean, I was here I was 23 years old um, and, adjusting to motherhood and dragging our baby on a plane every week. How many have babies or young children and you have traveled with them on airplanes and stayed in hotels with them? And you know how exciting that is. <laughs> yes, I'm using sarcasm. So every week this was um, our life and I... Um, I remember, I'll share more about it later uh, as we wrap up the night here, but I remember this conversation. We were meeting with a dear friend of ours who was a pastor and he was also a, a psychologist. Um, actually, how many of y'all know the song, um, Alabaster Box? I've come to pour my praise on him. So our friends, doctors Keith and Janice Jostrand, Janice Jostrand wrote that song. I actually heard that song for the first time. I was like, probably 16 or 17 years old, she came to our church and sang it and um, just wrecked us. It was such so powerful. But her husband, uh, Dr. Keith Strand, was a psychologist and they were pastors and everything. So he would come to our church from time to time and just counsel with the staff. And so David and I were still living up there in Indiana and we were traveling and we had lunch with him one day. And I was um, sharing with him just how burdened down 
I was, and I thought, and I, and I said, you know, when you have a baby, that's not the time, like, that's a time to settle down, that's a time for, like, routine, you know, and I was just so stressed out doing what God had called us to do, and so I was doubting, in my conversation, I was doubting that God knew what he was doing, because how could he ask me to raise my son like this? Do you get what I'm saying? I was like, I know better. I I know what he needs. And I'll never forget Keith saying to me, don't you think God knows better than you what your son needs? And I held onto that. That was a word for me. And I, I, you know, when we get a, that wasn't really a prophetic word, but that was like a word of of wisdom that I needed, that I clung to, that yes, oh my goodness, God, of course God knows what my, what my son needs, what our children need. And, um, but that was like a, that's a practical look at how we, you know, take on this idea of, you know, God really doesn't know what's best for me or my family. Um, when our son Carson was diagnosed with autism when he was four years old, of course, I, it, I questioned, how could God allow this to happen to our family, to our son? Because I had an unspoken, many of us, we, we have this, it's an unspoken expectation that if I give my life to serving him, my family will be exempt from pain. And you know what? You can't find that anywhere in scripture. We find quite the opposite, actually, when we read about how the, the apostles, how they suffered and, and were martyred. But, but we have this unmet, this unspoken expectation that, that we should be exempt from, from certain things. And I definitely, I felt that. And I, I walked through the grieving process of what that looks like, of what, what does this look like for our family? Okay, so the, the, the idea that we're not gonna suffer any pain or go through any battles is obviously, it's not in scripture. So let's read a little bit of what the Apostle Paul endured. You know, the Apostle Paul, of course, I think probably most of you know, he wrote most of the New Testament and most of our instruction about spiritual warfare. So I think he knew a little something about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to take a little sip of water. Verse 24. This is Paul speaking. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, 
there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. We could probably learn a few things from our brother Paul. So if hardship is something I must learn to endure and fight the good fight of faith with my weapons, which are not carnal, but are mighty. We're going to get to that scripture in a second. (laughs) If hardship is something I need to endure as a good soldier in the army of the Lord, I need to establish my theology around it. So the first thing that we're going to establish in our theology around battles, around suffering, is that God is good. James 1, 13 and 17 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So God is not tempting us. God is not bringing, uh, causing uh, the hardship, okay? Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So God is good. Say it with me. God is good. The second thing I'm going to establish in my theology about suffering and hardship and battles is that I live in a fallen world where sin abounds. God designed a perfect world. He created a perfect world. But we know that sin entered it when we chose to listen to the serpent. I know it was Adam and Eve. We're included in that. We we, we chose to listen to the serpent. But here's the beautiful thing. God knew. And he already had a plan in place to restore what was lost. Scripture says that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundation of the world to restore the relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden. So the age-old question of where was God? I got this picture in worship the other day. David and I were leading Friday noon prayer. And as I was worshiping and I had was contemplating this idea because I had been speaking with someone who was really going through a challenging time. And this question came up for them. And I was, as, a, as I was in worship, I just saw the picture of where, where was God? God was sending his only son, Jesus, to the cross, to make a way for us to have complete freedom, complete healing, and restore restored relationship with him. That's, that's where God was. 
That's where God was. And he has not left you alone. He is with you. We sang about the beautiful Holy Spirit tonight. Aren't you so glad? Jesus, before he ascended, said, I will not leave you alone. I will send the comforter. And we have the Holy Spirit. You know, did you know that we're wrapped up? When we talk about the love of God, like we are wrapped up in the love of the Trinity. God was never alone. He always had, it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From the beginning, from, from, from the beginning, there was never just God. And so we are not, when we talk about the love of God and how even when Jesus went to the cross, yes, he said yes and he loved us, but it was because of his love for the Father to, to do the Father's will that he said yes. So, so when Paul writes like nothing can separate us from the love of God, like this bond is so tight and God wanted a family. And so when it was lost and broken in the garden, he already had a plan to send his son Jesus to make a way for us to come to him. And now Jesus is our older brother and we are in this family. So you're not alone. And as long as he is with us, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. The psalmist David, King David wrote in Psalm 23, we always quote the end of Psalm 23 around here, but verses four and five says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. He is with us. He is with us. So when the enemy is whispering in your ear saying, where is your God? You declare, the, you declare the word of God, the scripture. You declare it in the midst of trouble. He's with me. So we've established God is not our enemy. He is good. We've established that we live in a fallen world where sin abounds. And, and we live in the now, not yet era of the Christian experience. What do I mean by that? Satan is already defeated. We know that. Yet we still have to battle with him. We still have to battle him. That is the paradox of the Christian life. His ultimate, de his ultimate defeat is coming when Jesus Christ returns. We await that day. And he, he's on a leash. You know that? Satan is on a leash. And here's the thing. God sovereignly uses him to accomplish his will. That's how we get the great promise of Romans 8, 28. That says, I'm gonna read the NIV version because I like how the NIV says it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God works. There is nothing that the creator of the universe can't, can't do with your circumstance, with the things that have been thrown at you. He he 
knows how to mix it up really good and make something beautiful for his glory. In all things, God works. Yes, indeed. Okay, so spiritual warfare is waged in the mind. It's a fight for your peace, your strength in the Lord, and ultimately your faith in Christ. So let's look at some of the Apostle Paul's teaching on spiritual warfare. Y'all good? Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through five. We could all, some of you could probably just quote this right along. With me, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. One translation says every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's like action on our part. That's not like passive. That is active. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6. I read verse 11 earlier. Now we're going to read the whole 10 through 18. We're going to read about the armor of God. Y'all ready? And this is what's cool. I don't know if y'all have done any study on the armor of God. I'm not gonna go through every piece of the armor. Um, but, you know, the Apostle Paul was in a jail cell when he was writing these letters. And, you know, it's, it's definitely like here he was looking at a Roman soldier and using what he's looking at, each, each article, each um, piece of the um, armor, and he's applying it to us. I think that's just amazing. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Again, this is active. This isn't passive. This is action on our part. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I know you think your boss is your enemy, but according to Paul, your boss is not your enemy. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, keep alert, keep alert. Peter told us that earlier too, be watchful. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit some points here, some practical ways for us to put on the full armor of God. 
What are, what are, practically speaking, what are some of the weapons of our warfare? Thanksgiving. We know this one around here. Thanksgiving. Remembering what God has done. Did you know that not only is Thanksgiving found all over scripture, um, but according to Psychology Today, gratitude is a proven mental health strategy that reduces toxic emotions. It's like God knew how he made us or something. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I like to say it this way, thanksgiving is a tangible way for me to frame my life in the goodness of God. Did you know that you can discipline yourself to find like at least one good thing in your situation? I, I heard a, a, a sister, in, uh, uh, sister, in the, my sister in Christ, share with me one, one day. She was talking about um, how when she was young and she would come home from school and complain about, you know, some student, some other girl, you know, in, in the class. And her mom would make her say one good thing about that student, that child, her, that friend that she didn't like or whatever. One good thing. She said, she would make me say one good thing. And she said, you know what it did? It, it disciplined me to see the good. This is why I love living with David Binion. Because he is wired to see the good. He is a, ha a glass half full guy. And it has been a blessing in my life. Bill Johnson says, the absence of thankfulness is self-trust. I'm gonna say that again because you might wanna write it down. The absence of thankfulness is self-trust. Thanksgiving is an expression of trust and it keeps us conscious of him. Expressions of thanksgiving, listen to this, expressions of thanksgiving deliver me from the influence of offense and bitterness. Expressions of thanksgiving deliver me from the influence of offense and bitterness. The Hebrew word for, because as we're talking about Thanksgiving, it means we are remembering what God has done because we have to, we, we pull up these things as we are expressing our thanks, right? It causes us to remember what God has done. And the Hebrew word for remember is zakar. And it means a remembering that results in action. Oh, so Thanksgiving, that's, that's, one of our, that's one of our weapons. Okay, number two. Praise. How is praise different than Thanksgiving? Well, I'm going to share a little story. Um, praise, praise, praise prepares the way for deliverance. There's lots of examples in Scripture about for this. I mean, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, but for me, praise is the way that I can like practically. This is the way I see it. Put up the shield of faith. With praise, I, I remember um, shortly after um, 
Carson had received his diagnosis. I talk about you a lot, don't I, buddy? Um, and I was, um, we were processing that. And I remember leading worship on a Sunday morning when we were on staff at Covenant Church. And I remember singing this song. And it was like me raising the shield of faith against the fiery darts of the enemy. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated. And we will shout it out, shout it out. Do you feel, do you, do you sense how lifting up a praise in the middle of the battle is like this declaration of who my God is? And it delivers me from offense and bitterness. It delivers me from heartbreak. This is a tangible way to use the shield of faith. It's been said, read the Psalms until you find yourself in the Psalms. Have you ever heard that? That's not very hard to do because David is transparent and authentic before the Lord about the anguish of his soul. But here's the thing. He is a worshiper. So you will never find David, talking about the one in the Bible, but also that applies to this one too. Um, you will never find him in a dark night that he does, does not find a song that raises a truth out of that darkness as he processes his life. You, you see this all throughout the Psalms. I'm gonna read an example here. Psalm chapter three, starting at verse one. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Here he goes. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. My praise is a weapon against the enemy and it will either shift my circumstance or it will shift my perspective. It's gonna change me. It's either gonna change what I'm facing and it's, de it's definitely gonna change me. Praise produces breakthrough. We see this with Paul and Silas. I'm gonna keep going. Paul and Silas, y'all know they were singing at midnight in the prison and all of the doors were open and all of the prisoners were set free because they were worshiping. They were giving God praise in the midst of their battle. Praise produces breakthrough. Number three, our weapon, the word of God. So when we look at the armor of God and we hear, see, you know, Paul talks about the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, he says, um, really both of these things represent the word of God. So I see like the belt of truth as like, I am building my life, everything I am, my life is centered on the word of God, on scripture. The logos, y'all know that the logos is the written word of God. The rhema um, is, is the now, the now word, right? Like the, the revealed word. Um, so the belt of truth is like, to me, is like the logos word, the, uh, uh, the written word of God. And the sword of the spirit is like the rhema. So 
we store up the logos in our heart. And in a moment when we need it, the rhema from what we have stored up in our heart, that God gives us a word in season from what we have what we have heard, what we have read, and it comes up. And so that sword of the spirit, they say, as Paul is describing this, was really like, it's not a long sword. It's more like a dagger. It's more like um, close combat. So we see this, of course, in the account of Jesus being um, tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter four. Let's read it. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, he's questioning, he's wanting Jesus to question who he is. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Jesus had the logos stored up right here. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus was bad to the bone. Logos became Rhema. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So even the son of God used the word of God to fight the enemy. Okay, the last, the last uh, weapon of our warfare that we're gonna talk about. This is obviously not an exhaustive list, okay? But number four is keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That doesn't seem like maybe that it would be a weapon of our warfare. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I think about in the Old Testament, the battle that Jehoshaphat, um, he said, he said, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It is only by the blood of the lamb that we overcome the enemy. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We will never overcome the enemy in our strength, but only as we stand in the victory of Jesus. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. Kareem, y'all can come on up. We're looking to Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter four, starting at verse seven. Again, this is the apostle Paul writing. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. (laughs) Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Y'all do know this is not all there is. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. I want to share this story as we wrap up tonight. Again, it's part of my own journey and um, maybe it'll help someone tonight. But during that same season, I shared with you um, when our firstborn was a baby and we were, life was just really hard. It was really hard. God had called us out. And you know, the scripture goes, we go from glory to glory. Bishop Garlington says it's like from glory to It takes a really long time to get to the next glory sometimes. And um, I was, I was, again, probably over 23, 24, and we were traveling, and um, I was really struggling with depression. And it was like the, the only time, this is why I love the presence of God so much, because... I I always loved the Lord my whole life. I always wanted to serve him. But in this season of my life, the presence of God, it really became my food. And it was like the only time I had any joy was when I was in his presence. And we were were getting ready to go on this trip with Tommy, Tinny, to Canada. We were going, he was doing these God Chaser meetings and and we were leading worship and our son Cole was um, maybe like a year old. And 
I remember it was the night before we were supposed to leave for the trip and I was so, I'll use the word, um, I don't really use this word, but vexed, I would say, with anguish. And I remember being curled up on the bed, like in a fetal position, not wanting to go on this trip. I just, I just didn't want to do it. And I remember thinking, I had a choice, like I could just decide to not get out of this bed. I could just decide to check out on life. And I'm sharing this tonight because maybe someone in the room, maybe someone watching online, maybe you feel like that right now in this, in this season that you're in and life is really, really hard. And I, as I was thinking about this yesterday, I remembered how my own grandmother, who was actually just a precious woman of God. I mean, she and my grandfather planted a couple churches in their life. And, but she really struggled with mental illness, her, with her mental health. And of course, back then, no one knew. And, you know, people weren't talking about that. She didn't have tools given to her to help her. And so it was really... She was, she was sick all the time. She was in the bed all the time. And, you know, the enemy likes to bring those things back around, right, in generations. And, uh, but I remember in that, moment deciding to say yes to the Lord one more time and um, we went on the trip and that weekend it was like I just remember laying in the floor in the presence of God for hours and I left Canada free from depression. The dark cloud that I had been living under did not follow me home. Did you know that the Holy Spirit can empower you to do things that you're not naturally wired to do? I want to say that again. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do things that you are not naturally wired to do. If you if you're going through hell, don't stop. Get up. Keep going. Press on. Press on. Keep Moving, Keep saying yes to him. I promise you, you don't know when the next yes that you give him, that, that your breakthrough is waiting on the other side for you. So let's stand to our feet tonight.
Your breakthrough is waiting on the other side of your perseverance. Thank you. I want to be able to say, like the Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. Say that with me. Let's say it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have, a lo who have longed for his appearing. That's us. That's us. And so tonight, God, we say we will fight the good fight of faith. We will, we will, we will stay um, in the fight. We're not going to give up. We're going to keep giving you our yes. And we know that as we continue to give you our yes, your Holy Spirit is going to empower us to overcome. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.